Hey, I'm Zach. I'm the lead pastor here at Restore. Thanks so much for checking out our website. We're a church that's simply about locking arms with our community to help bring restoration to individuals and neighborhoods all over the city of Austin. We're also a church that's founded on God's grace, and that means that no matter who you are or what you've done, this is a place where you can feel accepted and a place where you can belong. If you come to Fulmore Middle School for one of our Sunday gatherings, you can expect to find a welcoming and open environment. You can also expect to find a place for your kids to learn about Jesus and have fun in a safe place. We would love for you to come on a Sunday morning to Fulmore or learn more about us on our website. If you'd like to get more information or have any questions, you can also email us at info at restoreaustin.org. Either way, we'd love to see you soon. Was the last time that you was the last time that you got beaten up for your faith? When was the last time that you felt pain, persecution, anger from someone else because of your faith? You know, last week Amy wrapped up the message with this stunning passage of scripture. It really, I think, sets the tone for us today. It's Acts 5.40, and it says, They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. Now, just pause for a second. The Sanhedrin, if you don't know, is actually this, this religious council. It was like the high priest. These were supposed to be um, the most religious, moral, God-fearing people in the land, and yet they had just beaten up the leaders of the first church, actually flogged the leaders of the first church, which is significantly worse even than being beat up. So the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You know, and as we sit in our, you know, comfy chairs with coffee and donuts and heat and air conditioning this morning, it's hard to imagine a church where simply existing is cause for persecution. It's hard to really understand being flogged for our faith as we sit in a country where freedom of religion is one of the core values. In fact, maybe the core value that the country was even founded on. This wasn't the case for the first church. It's actually not the case for many churches and many Christians to this very day. In fact, this is especially true in countries like India. Now, if you are watching via the live stream right now, we're going to pause it just for a second, and I'm gonna talk a little bit about kind of the religious and political climate of India, and then if you'll hang on, we will come back up and go back into the message. This guy has been beaten 
multiple times for his faith, and yet he is the one in the video leading the charge, singing the loudest. Afterwards, as we got in the van and they rushed us away, I asked him, why would you baptize someone outdoors? Why would you become a pastor? Why even just publicly claim Christianity with the cost being so high? What's your motivation behind that? And he said, Jesus has called me and the Holy Spirit has empowered me. Jesus has called me and the Holy Spirit has empowered me. That was his answer. I think that's such a perfect description of this first church. They were people that knew that they had been called by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. They knew that deep in their, in their soul, in their bones. In the very essence of who they were, they knew, I have been called by Jesus and I have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And for this first church, that was enough to take a big, huge group of complete strangers and turn them into a family. And you see, living as one big family was really important for this first church because most of them would have been cut off from their biological families just for becoming a Christian in the first place, something that still happens in places all over the world today. But for the most part, we don't experience that here. Most of us have not been cut off from our families for becoming a Christian. In fact, most of us haven't ever experienced any real persecution in any form or fashion. And I actually believe that that has crippled us when it comes to understanding that we have been called by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let me explain what I mean. I'd be willing to bet that more than half of us in this room have never truly examined whether we are personally called by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've never had to, right? For us, this is church. We come and we, we eat and we sit and we talk and we sing and we listen. We go to brunch afterwards, you know? It's nice. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, I'm so thankful that we live in a place where that's possible. But because of that, we don't have to do a lot of introspection, right, about what we really believe or why we're really here. If we've really been called by Jesus, if we really have to trust moment by moment in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's not a part of our daily lives. Put yourselves in the first church's shoes. Cut off from family. You become family with this big group of strangers. You, you've pooled all your resources just to help people who are in need. You're facing persecution. Your leaders are being called in by the religious leaders of the community and being beaten and flogged. You would be thinking, am I really called to this? Is this really what, what God has for me? Am I going to be able to do this in my own power? I really need to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Their calling and their power source were clear. So when anything, any issue, an issue like the one we're going to actually look at this morning, anything arose in their midst, they were already ready for it. They knew how to deal with it. And my hope this morning is as we look at this story and we look at how the first church reacted to something that they were walking through, how they practiced their calling and their empowerment, we would begin to understand and embrace our own. As we observe the way the first church 
practice their calling and their empowerment, we would begin to understand and embrace our own. That's my hope for us this morning. So let's dive in. Acts 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Now, as I said, this group of people, this church, had kind of pooled their resources so that they could give to people who were in need. And and one of the major people groups that were in need is widows. And this idea of kind of Hellenistic versus Hebraic, um, the Hebrews were the ones that made up the church first, the Hebraic people. And the Hellenists kind of came later. And the main distinction between these two groups was birthplace and language. So the Hebrews were mostly from Jerusalem and Judea, the surrounding area, and they spoke a language called Aramaic, while the Hellenists were from outside all over the Near East and mostly spoke Greek. It's important to note, though, that the overlooking of the Hellenistic widows wasn't due to ethnicity, but to the growth of the church. The Hebrew widows had been cared for since the very beginning. They were part of that very first group. So when they pulled the resources, they had enough people to be able to make sure that all these widows got everything that they needed. But as the church grew and grew and grew, and especially in this Hellenist, this Greek-speaking population became a part of the church, there were more and more widows to take care of and not enough people to do it. So that meant that the newest ones were being neglected. The older ones, they already had a rhythm going where they distributed things to the Hebraic widows, but the Hellenistic widows were being neglected because they were new and there weren't enough people to help them. Now to us, this may sound like a relatively small problem, but in actuality, it is a huge deal. Taking care of those who can't take care of themselves is what the church is all about. That's what we've been asked to do, take care of those who can't take care of themselves. In his book, James, the brother of Jesus, tells us that taking care of widows and orphans is pure and faultless religion. That's what the church is called to do, take care of those who can't take care of themselves. So the apostles take this issue very seriously. And here's what they do, verse 2. So the 12, that's the apostles, they gathered all the disciples, that's the whole church, together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to serve at tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Now, I know this sounds a little pompous from the apostles, right? Like, hey, we shouldn't neglect, you know, the ministry of the Word of God to wait on tables. But serving at tables here is actually talking about much more than just giving out food. The word here for tables is usually translated money table. It would be the modern equivalent of a bank account for us. These were the the treasurers of the church. These are the people that took care of distributing everything that the church had to those in need. Remember, they pooled their resources so they could have this big bank so that they could distribute to people in need. They didn't have enough people to do that distribution, so serving at tables was essentially taking care of everything that the church owned giving it to the people, making sure it gets in their hands. So that's exactly who they set out to find. Now notice the apostles had a very simple requirement for this type of leadership. They call them people that are known to be full of the Spirit and wise. People that are known to be full of the Spirit and wise. So the men and women of this first church go out and they look for people who they know are called by Jesus and empowered, full of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, we know a lot about Stephen and Philip from the rest of Acts. And in fact, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at Stephen and Philip's lives. They have incredible, incredible stories. So I would really love for you to come back and hear those two men's stories. We really don't know much or I would say anything about the rest of this group. They're not really mentioned again in all of Scripture. But I love, and it's really important that Luke included some background about this guy, Nicholas. He was from Antioch, Luke says, and a convert to Judaism. Meaning, catch this, he was the first non-Jewish-born person to be in leadership in the church. This was a big deal. Luke mentions it here. Luke, remember, he's a historian. He's a doctor. He's making sure that he gets these very important details right. This is a big deal. It didn't matter who Nicholas was, what he had done. It it didn't matter what his race was, his birthplace was, his past was. He was ready to step up and lead because he knew that he'd been called by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. He was a man full of faith in the Spirit of God. It didn't matter that he wasn't born Jewish. It didn't matter that he wasn't from there. It didn't matter that he'd been somewhat of a recent convert. They looked and they said... That's a man who knows that he's been called by God and trusts in the power of the Holy Spirit. How did he know that? Because when you have to leave your family and your friends and your home behind to follow Christ, you don't have anything left to trust except your calling from Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's all there is. So Nicholas and these six others step up And what happens? Verse 7. So the word of God spread. I love that. The word of God spread. The number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. The word of God spread. More and more people found out about the unconditional, relentless love of Jesus, and they stepped into it. Even priests This is an important detail from Luke here. Even priests, men who directly reported to the high priest and his council. Remember who that was? The people that had just finished flogging the apostles. The people who had killed Jesus just months before. Those same people, the people that reported directly to those priests, those priests were stepping into faith. So powerful was this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that they were leaving behind vocations and families and homes to step into it. You can be sure that these people were sure of their calling in Jesus. God does truly incredible things when we step in to our calling from Christ and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've heard this passage preached dozens of times, and it is usually taught with a singular application, and that is for you to step up and serve in the church. Wherever you are, this church here at Restore, if I was preaching this, it's taught mostly with the singular application of, hey, look, the apostles needed help. I'm up here. I need help, okay? Doing all this stuff, helping all you people all the time, and I need help, okay? So look, then the first church, they called these people. They stepped up. They started helping. So get out of your chair, step up, and start helping. That is usually, I'm not going to do that. That is usually the way 
that this passage is taught. But I actually don't believe that to be the true biblical application of this passage. I'm not going to co-opt this text and make it say something that it doesn't. It isn't saying that everyone here at Restore needs to be serving here at Restore. It says that everyone who is a part of the Big C Church has a role in the Big C Church. If you don't know what Big C Church means, it's the church with the capital C. You see, Restore is a little C church. We're just a part of the Big C Church, which is all believers all throughout the world united by Jesus. That's the Big C Church. The application of this text is not, you're a part of Restore, so you need to be serving at Restore. The application of this text is, you are a part of the Big C Church, and God has a role for you in the Big C Church. He has a mission for you inside of his great mission of restoration that he's on. Now, some of you may feel like you aren't ready to lead in the Big C Church. You're not ready to step up into to responsibility like that, to a role like that. And I'm going to be honest with you. You might be right. But I don't think it's for the reasons that you think. It's not because you aren't good enough or talented enough or moral enough. It doesn't, it's not because you haven't been a Christian long enough. It's not because you aren't mature enough. It's not because you haven't led enough Bible studies or given enough money or been on enough mission trips. It's because you have not stepped into your calling from Jesus and realize that you have been given all the power you ever need from the Holy Spirit who indwells you. That is what's holding you back. You have not truly stepped in to the calling that Jesus has placed on your life and you are not trusting in the Spirit's power, not your own. You're not trusting in the Spirit's power to give you everything that you need. I want to close our time together this morning by asking you a question. What does it look like to live your life as someone who is called by Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What does it look like for you to live a life marked by the calling that Jesus has placed on your life and empowered by the Holy Spirit who indwells you? What does that look like? We're going to examine that together. And I can't tell you what it specifically looks like in your life. But I can tell you this, it starts with intentionally loving the people around you. That's where it always starts. In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he says this, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. Carrying each other's burdens in love. If you remember, they asked Jesus, Jesus, what's the, the greatest and, and most important commandments? There are all these commandments. There are all these things that God's asking us to do. What's, what's the greatest and most important one? Jesus says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. If you are a Christian with a breath in your body, you have been called by God to intentionally love the people around. It's not going to be easy. And there are people that share my title, I guess, as a pastor. There are people that will stand up on stage. There are people that will open this Bible up and they'll say, 
God has so much for you, and it's going to be so beautiful and easy and fun if you just trust him, you know? You just live your life for him. If you just, you just do enough, if you just give enough, if you just trust him enough, your problems, they start to go away. You don't have to walk through the difficulties of life anymore. God has bigger things for you. It's your best life now. But I'm going to tell you straight, it's not going to be easy. Ask my pastor friends in India if it's easy to step into the calling that they receive from Jesus. If we could go back and ask the first church if it was easy to step into the calling that they have received from Jesus. I can attest to this firsthand. Some of you know that Amy and I are I'm not going to do this. <laughs> Amy and I are fostering. And that we've had this little guy for, for three months now. Since week one, he's been calling us mommy and daddy, you know. It's, he's become a part of our family. And tomorrow, he's leaving. He's going to another placement. We are devastated. We're worried about him. We don't know what the future holds for him. It's not easy. It's not easy to intentionally step into the calling that Jesus has for your life. It's not easy to love like that. Because true love, the love that Jesus talks about, that agape love, it's self-sacrificing. It's laying your life down. It's not easy, man, but it's good. It's good. It's better. It's better than any ease of life that anyone else offers you. If you are here, if you are a Christian, if you have a breath left in your body, you have been called by God to intentionally love the people around you, to care for the people that don't have anyone else to care for them, to love widows and orphans and marginalized people. That's what Jesus did. And his spirit lives inside of us, man. And it empowers us to do that very thing. I don't know what your specific calling from God is, but I know that it starts with loving the people around you. The band's about to come back up. and They're going to lead us in a song that has really quickly become one of my very favorites that we sing together. It's called For the One. I'm going to put the chorus up on the screen. It says, help me to love with open arms like you do. A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth. Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. In just a second, we're going to stand up. We're going to sing this song together. And I want to challenge you to make this chorus more than just words on a screen. Make this the, the cry of your heart this morning. Ask God to reveal to you where he's called you to intentionally love the world around you, and then by faith step into that.
For many of you, even if I was talking, God was bringing things to mind, people to love, places to serve. Step into those things. Trust him. It's not easy, but it's good. It's not easy, but it's good. Maybe for some of you, that's here at Restore, helping this church family. So many of you are already doing this. But for others of you, you may be called to do something like Holly. Holly is a member of our church, and one of the ways that she has stepped into our calling, her calling and trusted the Holy Spirit is through Meals on Wheels. One of the clients that she sees in Meals on Wheels is this homebound widow with stage four cancer. And every week, Holly goes and brings her a meal and sits with her for a couple hours and prays with her and loves her. Holly is the only person this woman usually sees each week. The only one. Talk about widows being neglected, you know? Holly stepped into a clear calling from God. Trusted the power of the Holy Spirit, and she is intentionally loving where God has called her to love. Go ahead and stand with me. Whatever it is and wherever it is, I promise you there is nothing like stepping into the calling that God has for your life and being used by him. Don't just skate by these last couple of minutes of this service. As we sing this together, make this your prayer. Make it the cry of your heart. Ask God to show you where he would have you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the truth of it. God, thank you that we live in a place where we can come freely to a church like Restore and and express our faith and worship you and be a part of this family without fear of, of persecution or retribution. God, but thank you also for our brothers and sisters in places like India and all over the world where they don't have that same luxury. Thank you that they are sure of their calling and that they have no choice but to trust the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells them moment by moment. God, and I pray this morning that we would take a cue from them, a cue from that first church, that we would step into the calling you have for us, that we would trust the power of your Holy Spirit, and that we would intentionally love the people that you have placed around us. Lead us where you would have us go.